gun Ramos looking like he's got one more good run Sips a little shaky But his heart is still true Oh how that dog loves hunting with me and you Sporting dog adventures run Hey, this is Jeff Fuller of Soggy Acres Retrievers and Sporting Dog Adventures TV. We have had a great run showing our love for dogs with our show, our podcast, our social media, and all that is based on Soggy Acres Retrievers. We proudly bring this podcast to you by Soggy Acres Retrievers and ask you if you are looking for training, boarding, or a yellow, black, or chocolate Labrador Retriever puppies, please check out SoggyAcres.com. Remember, everyone deserves a Soggy Dog. Jeff Fuller again from Soggy Acres Retrievers and Sporting Dog Adventures Podcast. When you look at hunting, you need to have yourself prepared. Our good friends at Mac Outdoors have reloading supplies, as well as great clay target machines to get you prepared so you have more success in the field. Don't get that dirty look from your dog. Check out Mac Outdoors. Hey, welcome to the Sporting Dog Adventures podcast. I am your hapless host, Jeff Fuller of Soggy Acres Retrievers, and I have my lovely wife here with me today. It is almost the 4th of July. I thought we'd be remiss if we did not talk about dogs and fireworks. Kate, take it away. Dogs hate them. <laughs> Pretty much. Well, not all of them hate them. Half of them, or, or more than half of hunting dogs, will run around looking for ducks to be on the ground. But I have seen my fair share of dogs that were gun-shy because of fireworks. And as you've told people before, that's one of the hardest things to fix, if it can be fixed. It is. Gun-shyness is something that I always tell people it's about a 25% chance of fixing. I have a higher rate of of fixing dogs that are gun shy but i think a lot of it comes down to being honest with people when they're looking at investing in their dogs and letting them know that there's a chance the dog cannot be fixed if you put a lot of money into them so the best advice really is to make sure if you have a dog you want to hunt that you're not blasting fireworks off and frightening them before you're starting training them and we could talk about one that i had in this year i had one dog in did not realize she had any issues with uh, uh being adverse to noise and shot a 209 primer pistol, which is generally what I use to uh, work with dogs on, on being around gunfire. It's a very loud, like a starter's pistol for, for a track meet. And when I shot it off, the dog just completely freaked out. And it was brought to my attention that she had had one of the large mortar fireworks that did not launch, went off on the ground, and it was near her when it went off. And I didn't know if I was going to if I was actually going to be able to fix this dog. And I remember coming into you and just being heartbroken. Like, I don't know what to do with this dog. It's sad and it's frustrating. And it affects people too beyond people who hunt. You don't have to be a, a hunter and only be concerned with fireworks. You don't want your dog being crazy adverse to any kind of loud noises. You know, a, a truck backfiring or, you know, kids making a big banging noise or things like that. It's, so it's not just a concern for hunters. A lot of times you will have these noises where the dog is very sensitive to them and you don't even realize it's a problem if it's not 
during hunting season, you don't realize it's a problem. So it's something that just perpetuates, whether it's loud noises outside, uh, fireworks, and thunderstorms is a huge one. Um, I worked with somebody whose dog was so adverse to thunderstorms that um, its little heart rate would go so high, they actually thought the poor dog was going to have a heart attack. It was that anxious, that upset about the noise. We had our dog Lucy, and she was a hunting dog, and she wasn't scared of gunfire, but she was scared of thunderstorms. And I remember whenever we would have a storm, before you could hear the thunder as a person, she would be in by us, and she would be snuggling up clingy. to you. Yeah, she would get clingy. She would be like, save me. And we were like, from what? And then, you know, five minutes later or whatever, the storm would roll in. Yeah, she uh, she didn't go crazy about it, but she definitely didn't like it, and she wanted to be close to us. Exactly. And when you have a dog that does have noise issues, you have to take them along slow. About the num- the worst thing you could do, the worst thing you can do is just keep shooting around them or causing the noise around them, thinking that they'll just get over it. And that's with this dog that I had that had the, the firework go off. We actually did get her through training. But even when I shot a 209 primer pistol around her, it was the oddest thing. I've never seen a dog that used her ears like a horse. She actually turned her ears almost backwards so that when she was going out to do a retrieve, she was going to know what was going on behind her. She still ran out at full speed, but she had her ears turned back because she was listening to what was going on behind her to make sure there was no danger. The poor thing. Yeah, obviously she had a really bad experience, and that's probably always going to be in her memory. So when you do have a dog that is in this type of situation, what you want to do is you want to... Work with them at distance. You're going to start at 100 yards, then 75 yards, then 50 yards. And we had a 209 primer pistol. We're shooting it off, getting closer and closer to the point where you're using the primer pistol next to the dog. And the question with people is always, well, how fast do you move? And honestly, every dog, when you have a dog that's had a traumatic situation happen to them, and again, fireworks might not seem traumatic to us, but in the dog's mind, it was traumatic you have to gauge it by the dog. So it's watching the dog's body language when someone shoots. Watch it at 100 yards and then closer. It's watching the dog's body language when you shoot and then when the dog goes out to work. And then eventually it's shooting multiple rounds. And it's, I think, best if you have two people because as the one person is shooting from a distance, the other person is doing some sort of favorable activity, like playing with them with a bumper or a ball or something the point is distraction and the association of this happy, positive activity so that they're basically ignoring or disregarding the scary noise. And that's a great point. When I am first working on desensitization, I'm not doing a formal type of retrieve. I'm not instilling discipline and making the dog sit, healing, and making sure they don't break. It's more just playing with them because when you have a dog that has noise issues where they're adverse to noise, that's your first thing you have to fix. If you don't fix that, I don't care how great of a dog you have at retrieving bumpers, that's all you're going to have is a dog that retrieves bumpers without any noise. So it's making sure you get the noise problem fixed first and make things fun and get the dog over it so the dog starts to, I guess, corroborate or basically understand that when they hear that noise, they get to retrieve, which is what they love to do, so that it gets them over the hump. Yeah, make that positive association and make it fun. Don't don't worry about good form and training and just have some fun so that they're distracted and eventually it'll come along. 
And it did with this dog. She's uh, well on her way to being ready for hunting season. She's uh, she's going to have a great year. She's a great dog, great drive. Uh, really glad that we could get her to the point where she did work. And, uh, you know, hopefully hopefully the, uh, the owners heed my warning, which is to also only have her out with one or two hunters that are shooting. So it's not sounding like a ground offensive in World War II, um, which is what a lot of times people deal with when you have opening day don't have a blind full of four to six shooters that all light off after the ducks when they first come in. Make sure it's just one or two shots so that the dog is, again, associating this with fun and really enjoying themselves but not being set back by being scared. So the moral of the story being, you know, really do the best you can to, to try to minimize those startling type noises. You know, if you've got a lower level rec room, take your dog down there, watch a movie, um, play, you know, while the fireworks are going off. Do whatever you can, to, and especially don't have the fireworks anywhere near the dog. I mean, that's dangerous. You know, dogs, kids, fireworks. No, you don't mix those things. But oh, you hear about dogs that oh, like to retrieve, just, and they yeah. grab a they grab a bottle rocket, and it and it and it goes off yeah. when they're running around with it. There's so many issues that you can have. I mean, just keep them away. I watched one where it was a funny video, but it wasn't funny. But the dog had a Roman candle, and it's running around the yard with the Roman candle, shooting stuff at people because the dog thought it just had a stick. Yeah. That could have ended up tragic. So, I guess circling back to Fourth of July, if your dog has not been around noise, I would not take them to a fireworks Don't show. Do it. If you uh, eventually want to have your dog around things like that you're going to start out slow you're going to start out at a distance with the booming in the background where it's not right up by you but don't start off taking a young dog or a dog that's never heard fireworks right to a fireworks show because you're putting them in a position where cognitively they're not going to understand what's going on no it's it's very scary for them and like you said they may not recover so so everyone enjoy your fourth of fourth of july holiday weekend God bless America and have a great day. Coming up next, we're going to talk about one of our dogs, Scarlett, and a supplemental diet that we have her on. And lastly, in our hunting tip, we're going to talk about the importance of cleaning up when you're out in the field. All that and more coming up after this. Jeff Fuller from Sporting Dog Adventures and Soggy Acres Retrievers. In our house, my wife hates having the plastic kennels and wire crates. We need them for the dogs because we have times when they need to be put somewhere, but she cannot stand the look. So we talked to DCT Kennels and we now have a new partnership with them for a product that is a crate, but also a piece of furniture. If you want something that is practical as well as great looking, check out DCT Kennels. Welcome back to the show. Right now, I'm here with my beautiful wife, Kate, we are going to talk about our dog Scarlet. Scarlet has kidney issues where when she was a puppy, she got a bad uh, UTI and it moved into her kidneys and it actually caused her kidneys to not form properly. So when she was about a year old, after being very sick for a long period of time, we were told that she probably would have a shortened lifespan and they were talking in the next year or two. Scarlet is now four and a half years old, going strong. And most of that, if not all of that, is due to my wife's diligence in finding her a diet that worked for her, which I thought we'd talk about if you have a dog that has kidney issues, which as dogs get older, many of them will have this. Kidneys basically wear out as dogs get older. So this could be for a younger dog that has an affliction or an older dog that just is, is 
worn down in, 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 their, in their overall health, this is a great diet and plan that you can put your dog on that is very simple. Yeah, Scarlett, um, like you said, she developed this young from an infection that just wouldn't go away, and she's sick for such a long time. And then other people will see it in older dogs, like Rommel in his last year. Rommel was very, very old, and it was just part of sort of the, the age progression type of thing. Heck, we have a cat with it that's 10 years old. And it's actually more common in cats, and I don't know if that's because they eat a diet that's so much higher in protein, because of course protein is very hard on kidneys, um, but it is far more common actually in cats than dogs. So speaking of protein, that's one of the key things that we do with her. She is on a prescriptive low protein diet. Um, now, when you get to low protein, the big push in the dog world, and I see in the sporting world, is protein, protein, protein. Mm -hmm. you got to have higher protein for your dogs. The dogs need that. If you looked at Scarlett, she's on an 8% protein food, 8%, when everyone else is pushing over 30%, which I never do. I never go above 26% with our dogs. But as far as an 8% protein, she's one of the most athletic-looking and acting built. dogs we have. Yeah. Yep, she's absolutely built. She is muscular. She has got speed. She's got a gorgeous coat. Um, whatever people are thinking about this high-protein kick that we're on, which we are on as Americans as a whole. It's not even just with our dogs. We're figuring out ways to put in our breakfast cereal and our milk and everything. It's absolutely crazy. You don't need that much as a human. You don't need that much as a dog. I've seen, uh, we got some sample packs a while back from a food I think it was like 48% or something like that. They don't need that. And Scarlett's living proof of it. She's very healthy. She's very agile. Um, she's got great muscle tone. And yeah, she's on like 8%. So it's it's too much. And if you don't have a dog with kidney issues, if you're feeding them something that's got that kind of level of protein, in, you may be encouraging those issues. So definitely something to avoid, especially if the dog has kidney problems. But if they don't, that's still too much. So... So on top of a low-protein diet, we have a couple of different supplements. We do. She is on a powdered product. Um, it's a renal product from a company called Standard Process. It's got a little tiny scoop in it. We just take one little scoop and we put it on her meal morning and night. Um, and that helps regulate her kidney function. And then she's on a refrigerated product. It's actually a probiotic-based product. It's called Azadil, and she gets two of those capsules in the morning and one with her evening meal. They front and load it because the thought is that overnight, if she has certain levels that build up, she needs the extra little boost in the morning versus in the evening. So um, so those are the only supplements she's on, and those are supplements. They aren't um, drugs, so to speak. They're, They're basically helping with what the kidneys do. It's putting stuff yep. in her body that, that the kidneys normally put in, so it's supplementing her body. Yeah, it's helping it's helping her body to regulate the kind of things that maybe she can't do so much on her own. And then uh, the last dietary thing that we do for her is she gets a piece of potato each day. It's a red potato, like a red baking potato. She gets a bit of that. Um, About a half a small potato. A half of a small one, yeah. Definitely no green ones. As everybody knows, green potatoes, they're not only toxic to dogs but they're not good for people even so definitely no green potatoes we don't give her like the the idaho potatoes yukon golds whatever it's just the red ones and she gets a bit of that because they're very high in potassium and potassium helps uh with kidney function and so. she thinks it's like the greatest treat oh. in fact we can talk about our grocery trip yesterday we came home and 
one of the two of us, I'm not going to name names, forgot to put the bag of potatoes away. And Scarlett and Memphis, who think potatoes are like all that in a bag of chips. Literally. Raw <laughs> chips. They ate half a bag of potatoes. I don't think they got that much. But they definitely dragged it off the counter. And they dragged it over to the pet bed. And they were having, or attempting to have the potato buffet when I walked in. So, fortunately, that bag had some larger ones because we had actually bought it for ourselves to eat. Um, so they couldn't exactly like pop them in their face and gobble them down. They were bigger ones, and so they were kind of gnawing away at them. But yeah, too much is not good. Normally, she just gets a little bite of one each day. She jumps around by the refrigerator, thinks it's the the biggest deal. So, well, calorically, they really don't have a whole lot of calories mm-hmm. for the dog. So it's something that they think it's a treat. They think it's like the best treat ever. They they enjoy it, and it's also good for them. And I still remember when I talked to the vet at the time. If your dog gets into a type of a, a poison, let's say it ingests something that you're like, oh my gosh, that's terrible for them. To clear a dog's system, you actually give them potatoes and whitefish as a diet because that does help clear out toxins out of their system. So it's it's not a bad thing. It's going to help with toxins in their system, but it also greatly helps their kidney function. Mm-hmm. It's actually an ingredient that's used in a lot of dog foods. Um, people who do DIY do it at home. Um, dog foods where they make their own. A lot of times people use the potato as a base for that food. We just use it, like I said, as a bit of a supplement and she thinks it's a treat. I looked into whether you could use a banana because of course bananas are also very high in potassium, but the potato had more and then it also has less sugar. So I kind of weighed it out and we went with the potato option for those reasons. Um, Beyond that, as far as her diet is concerned, the only other thing which you talk about frequently on the podcast is you know no people food no treats and keep their weight where it needs to be the special prescriptive diet the potato the supplements none of that is going to help her none of it's going to save her life or have any useful function at all really if you're giving your dog table scraps or if your dog's overweight it's not going to work you can buy the finest supplements in the world you can spend whatever on dog food and it won't help So that's it for this part of the show. Next, we're going to talk about the importance of cleaning up after yourself out in the marsh. All that and more coming up after this. Our great fans of the Sporting Dog Adventures podcast, we are growing at an astronomical rate, and I want to thank you all. I do ask one thing from you. Please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Please give us a thumbs up, follow us, subscribe to us on whatever other platforms you're on, And the most important thing I can ask, share our podcast with your friends so that we can grow our love for the dogs and dogs in the field and make it so that people are more involved in our sport. Again, thank you so much for being listeners. Take care. Hey, this is Jeff Fuller from Sporting Dog Adventures Podcast. I want you to know that we buy all of our trucks at Boucher Automotive. We go to Janesville. They've got a great selection, great staff. If you're looking for a new truck or car, check out our friends at Boucher Automotive in Janesville. Hey, welcome back to the show. So we are going to talk about something that, honestly, I'm at a boiling point on, and that is cleaning up and not polluting our marshes. I am like Shrek. I own three swamps, and I don't know, for the life of me, do not understand why people think that a marsh, which is probably far more ecologically important to our world, 
and easiest to damage. Why a marsh is where you dump your crap. I don't understand it either. We live, our full-time residence is on basically a, like a swampland, a marsh. Um, and people dump things here. People dump things at our other properties. I have absolutely no idea why that's appealing. Uh, particularly at our home property because we're here. Yeah, we're here I mean, all the time. And we're not talking about a few things. We're talking about 20 tires at a time. Seriously, people, if you are that cheap that you cannot afford to pay to throw a tire away, come see me. Rather than dump it on my property, I'll pay your freaking bill. It is ridiculous that we have had year after year after year of things being dumped. At some point, I am going to catch someone and you better hope that I call the police because otherwise I'm going to knock the crap out of you. I am so sick of it and people dumping stuff. And that takes us to our hunting property. And this year, someone took the time, went on a snowmobile to load up TVs and dump them out in the marsh about half a mile from the roadway. So several TVs are out in the marsh. Yeah, the big, the heavy, non-flat screen type TVs way out on our property, which had to have been done with, like you said, a snowmobile, because there's no way you could get out there. And if any you other put way. it, if you put it out for your garbage man, it's ten dollars. Yeah, it's a little more in some municipalities, but like you said, come on, really? Don't you feel bad? I guess is my point. Um, you can afford other things, right? You have a smartphone. You probably have, obviously, in that person's case, a snowmobile, don't you? but you can't afford the small fee to properly dispose of your trash so that you're going to dump it on a, a guy's property who's got a wife, kids, he's a duty disabled police officer, put himself through college through, you know, Army Reserve, and you don't feel bad. You really ought to, you know. It's a disgusting thing. I mean, I honestly, if you are someone that is dumping stuff, change what you do. You literally, you got to look in the mirror. If you're dumping stuff on someone else's property, if you're polluting our wetlands, you got to take time and look in the mirror and realize that you are one of the lowest common denominators out there. It is ridiculous. It's a small price. Pay it. It's your waste. And that also takes us into hunting. When you're out hunting, pick up your shells, pick up your old boxes, pick up your garbage. There is a huge anti-hunting movement, and all you are doing is being a poster boy to shut down the sport that we all love. Take the time and be a good steward. And if you have kids with you, you darn well better set a good example for them. Because if you're the type that's going, this is where we dump our garbage and it's on someone else's property, at a point, someone's going to get caught. And I will tell you that if you get caught on my property, I will make sure that you are fined for every piece of garbage that is put on there with multiple offenses. And you will not get it talked down in court because I will be the one that will be there that will be explaining how derelict you're, you are by putting that stuff there. Yeah, it's like you said, teach your kids, make sure they know that it's not appropriate. There is a large anti-hunting movement going on. Don't don't feed that. Don't contribute to that. You people wonder why why is it so hard to get permission these days? Blah blah blah. It's because generations of hunters have come and left fences open, left garbage laying around, left their shell cases, left their boxes, left everything behind. Well, that's why people don't want to give you permission anymore. You made a mess. And if so. you find someone that is hunting on property that has that permission, that has done that. Take the landowner out and show them and get the person removed. I don't care if it's your uncle, your cousin, your brother, but if they're not going to clean up after themselves, 
if you get permission from someone or you're on a public hunting ground, you are going to get things closed by inaction. You're not that person that's leaving it there, but you're allowing it to happen. So be a good steward. Clean up your crap. Stop dumping your stuff, and especially in wetlands. My gosh, you're talking about something that when you dump your your three gallons of oil because you changed your own vehicle's oil because it was cheaper, but you didn't want to pay for disposal. If that gets into those wetlands, that will kill most of the most of the uh, delicate plants that are in the wetland. It's just it is something that as a society we need to change. We have to start looking at that stuff and realizing. It is wrong. Yeah, motor oil, that's one of the things, too, that I found out, that most of the chain stores, like your auto zones and stuff like that, will let you bring it in for free in small quantities. So take it on in there. Um, if you don't know where to take tires or TVs, or if you, you don't want to pay for it, call. Call the municipality you live in. Call the county. A lot of times they'll have, like, uh, community drop-off days. Just set it aside in your garage and wait for the community drop-off day, and they'll take a lot of things like that, like old computers, TVs tires, things like that. Just please don't pollute with it. You know, it, like you said, it, it's ruining the beauty the pristine nature. It hurts the ecosystem. It's rude. It's disrespectful. It's immature. Yeah. Please. And I don't care if you're 70 years old, if you're dumping on someone's property, it's immature. Grow up people. Let's all be good stewards. Let's set good examples for the future generation. Sorry for the rant. I hope everyone has a great 4th of July weekend. Take care, have a great weekend, everyone, and God bless. Sporting dog adventures, run, boy, run. Everything you need is here under the sun.